0: This episode is brought to you by the new season of Love Island USA, only on Peacock. We got a text. On June 11th, the one and the only Ariana Maddox is hosting a new season of Love Island USA on Peacock. With a new villa, new bombshells, and drama on the daily, this is summer appointment viewing at its finest. Oh, and of course, Scottish sweetie Ian Sterling is on the mic to narrate every moment of the fun. Love Island USA starts Tuesday, June 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern with new episodes six days a week exclusively on Peacock. Visit PeacockTV.com to learn more.
1: Welcome to The Pod Has Spoken, the Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley MacDee. I'm your host. Every Thursday, I'm here on the Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. On each pod, I'm accompanied by a different Ringer staffer. Today, I have two Ringer staffers. You call this the Cops Are Us duo of the Ringer. It is Mallory <laughs> Rubin and Jason Concepcion. How are you guys? Jason,
0: I don't want them to shoot at us. Let's shoot at each other. <laughs> you you want to shoot at me? <laughs> <laughs> Riley, I have to compliment you right away on your buff.
1: I uh, it It's it's really about the hair situation. I haven't had a haircut <laughs> in like three months. It's unbelievable. And it just keeps everything in order. These things are great. Yeah, looks great. Today, we are breaking down the finale of Winners at War. Whoa. The wow. champion of champions season, the battle royale. It is over. Unfortunately, but also is a time for celebration for all things survivor. Let's get started. We'll begin with a segment we call Tribal Council. We're just going to break down everything in this episode. It was 3 hours. It was unbelievable. Let's get Oof. to it. Oh, so from the top, Tony, Tony wins survivor. Yes. He is the two-time he champion. He is the king. This is unbelievable. I wrote about this a little bit for The Ringer.com. I think that with this win, Tony becomes the greatest survivor ever. Uh, his winning Kagayan is already one of the most iconic performances. This was also iconic, maybe even more impressive. I think we'll talk about that a little bit. But just overall, his resume is unbelievable. He's one of the most entertaining players as well. We shouldn't forget that. And I'm just so... So happy he won. This was kind of the result I was rooting for at least halfway through the season or so. It really could not have gone down in a better way.
2: Yeah, I think he's the GOAT. And I think that he, even it, had he not won, which I think could have happened with, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the way the edge twist worked this season and just some of the, you know, the randomness that's just kind of inherent to Survivor. I think he, I think he became the best... Two or three episodes ago. I think it's a. This season has been the most complex yet. He's managing a fire token economy and he's done that with absolute aplomb. He is competing against the greatest players in the history of the game and he has dominated them. He has somehow managed to n- never be a target despite being a target the entire season. He's learned from his previous. Uh, performances in uh, in terms of how to sustain alliances through betrayals. It's just an incredible, incredible, incredible performance in which he has dominated the best players
0: of all time. It is really actually quite easy to slip into hyperbole when discussing Survivor. That's kind of part of what's fun about it. These really exaggerated descriptions of the seasons we love, the themes we love, the players we love, the Jeff cargo pants we love, whatever the case may be in a given moment. But with what Tony just achieved, it actually does all feel completely valid. And weirdly, like the praise is almost measured because it's 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 so earned. And, you know, I've talked about this with both of you guys. I was not. The chief Tony evangelist heading into this mm-hmm. season, not because I didn't respect his game, I thought the Kagayan win was I- exemplary, but it was so heart attack inducing for me <laughs> that I almost yes. found the I almost found the anxiety slightly unpleasant as a viewer. I was just so anxious watching him play during his first win. The level of revere that I feel for him after watching this season is is on par with how I feel about great athletes and their achievements in sports. And I think, you know, I know Riley, I know you want to talk about the season as a whole in a minute, so I'll try not to skip ahead to that too much, but I do think there are kind of two considerations here. There's what Tony achieved and this season in a vacuum because winners at war was an incredible treat, an incredible treat. And then I think there's the context of the moment in which we watched it. And there was something even more thrilling about seeing this dominant, dominant run of mastery from Tony at a moment in time where we don't have sports to watch. The thing that we crave and miss so much. And we're all huge sports fans about spending the time with the team you love, watching the greats excel. We got that. This Survivor experience, and Tony in particular, yeah. but also the season as a whole, approximated that thing that you love and you, and you miss so much. So from that, the four individual immunity wins to the idol finding to the, the the running almost every week episode decision and never having a single vote cast against him, even though he was so clearly the dominant force. It was just that was masterful. Un- that was
2: unbelievable. Just to, just to quickly tack on, when we think about sports and great players, you think about how a great player comes back after a season right. into a new season with a new move, with something else, something else added to their arsenal. Yes. Can and you make that's the adjustment? Defines, can you make the adjustment? That's what defines a great player. So much of the narrative of this of this season and this final episode in particular was about growth and how people learned something through the experience of of competing in Survivor. And I think back to Tony's uh, first season, and so much of his strategy is about reciprocity, is about getting the person mm-hmm. that he wants to blindside to make a move on him first so that he has the justification to do it. And I think that's, you know... It, In a lot of ways, that was kind of the line stepping of of Tony's game. That was where he he kind of veered into so-called villain territory in the way he would goad, you know, I'm thinking of of LJ in particular, of goading a a particular player to make a move on him so that he had the the right to make the move back. Mm -hmm. This season, the thing that he added was not pushing that. I think of the way... He allowed Ben and Sarah to really run the decisions. He knew, for instance, Natalie probably had an idol. He was absolutely sure. He his his perspective was: we have to we have to act like she has it. But they were adamant in that she doesn't. And he let them run that decision so that later on he would have the right to make his decision. And I think that was real growth by Tony. That was a thing that he added to his game, letting his partners have the final
0: say, despite the fact that he disagreed. Incredible point. Riley, you wrote about this idea of balance in your piece on Tony as the goat. And I think what Jason's saying really taps into that in multiple respects. There's the evolution in his game from frenetic to patient. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the second half of the season when he really started to dominate once the old school players were out and he took over you did start to see more of that. I'm running so fast through the jungle. I have to suddenly like slide through the, the, the sand to, to <laughs> just not like explode into a cloud of dust <laughs> balance. And then like Jay, to your point, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you're, you're completely right. There were numerous moments that you could point to where he said to his Alliance members, part of me showing you that I, that this trust is real is that if you tell me you want to do this thing, we will, but there was never once a moment in his game all season where anybody would have been able to say to to him, you didn't drive this. You didn't make the decisions when it counted. And that is like an incredibly difficult balancing act to pull off. Incredibly difficult.
1: When I watched Kageyan, I felt like Tony was mostly a strategic player who Mm -hmm. also had enough social bonds and enough likability to kind of overcome the villainous way that he played that game and to still win in the end in this, in winners and war, he really grew and became a physical player. He wins four challenges, one short of tying the record. Yeah. And he had, you know, at times of this season, I kind of thought, okay, Sarah is like Tony's Trish. She's kind of like the, the woman that's like his right-hand man a little bit. Um, that is his number one ally in the game that can kind of calm him down a little bit when he's going too crazy. We'll talk about Sarah a bit later, but, It was clear in this episode that that bond that he had with Sarah. uh, Or we can call her (laughs) Lucina. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, the bond that those two shared went really deep. Yeah. And I think he had a lot of strong bonds with other players as well, including Nick and Ben and whoever. And I look at it now. You know, last night, I was totally ready to crown Tony the Goat, the King of Survivor. I think everybody was. And I've thought about it a lot more this morning. I don't even think that he's just the goat. I think that this is the single most impressive game of Survivor I've ever seen because Tony had it all. He outwitted. He oh, outlasted. He outplayed. He had the social game. He had the strategic yeah. game. He had yes. the physical game. Yes. There was no single element that was missing. Normally there's some kind of, okay, little crack in the game. I, Tony played it perfectly. He had zero votes against them. We haven't even mentioned totally, that Totally, totally, totally agree. And, and, and
2: when you think about like dominant seasons, JT, Kim, Yule, there's always kind of one slight question mark to your point. And I think a lot of it has to do with who are they up against? Kim, for instance, One World, she ran that front to back, but it was like two-thirds of that cast was were the craziest people that I've ever been on Survivor. You know uh, what Low I mean?
1: level of competition. <laughs> All respect to Kim. She was out of her mind that season, but yes. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Like, JT comes off at what some have called a flawless season to come back and then make one of the dumbest moves ever. And I think in this case... Against the people he was up against with the complexity of the game and the the addition of Firetones tokens, which added a whole layer of of stuff to actually manage. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think it's I think it's the greatest season we've ever seen from a player in Survivor.
1: And he came in with a reputation, too, where no one should have allowed him to get that far. And there were only yes. really a few players in the game who ever were like, oh, maybe we need to take Tony out. Maybe he's a threat. You think? You should have been thinking of this on day <laughs> one. If you even allow somebody who played like Tony did in Kagayan to stiff the final three, then he deserves to win. I think that we will continue to talk about Tony throughout this podcast. Absolutely. This really was his season. He totally deserves the crown. But let's let's zoom out about this a little bit. You know, Mallory, mm-hmm. you brought up how we can be a little bit hyperbolic at times. Uh, I know somebody who loves to be a little hyperbolic is Jeff (laughs) Probst. He called this the greatest (laughs) season ever (laughs) Uh, at the top of the show. Do we think it's the greatest season ever? What do we think about the season as a whole? What worked? What didn't work? Where do we stand? I thought this
0: was an absolutely incredible season of Survivor. And again, I think that it's worth at least acknowledging the moment in time in which we're watching it. You know, think about some of the yeah. things you covet from a Survivor season. You want that moment at Final Tribal where Sue is going to eviscerate somebody. You want to feel oh my God. the level of rage, that aspect of your comeuppance, what, you, reaping what you've sown and the choices you have made, the, the way that you have chosen to act toward other human beings is something you then have to contend with. I think there are probably Survivor fans out there who watched what was a largely laudatory final tribal filled with mutual respect and admiration and thought, this isn't what I want. I found it like (laughs) it was like this boon. It was exactly what I needed. It felt completely perfect for this moment in time where you want to come together and celebrate a thing that you love. And I, I have absolutely no shame or hesitation saying that out loud. It just felt completely right. And then I found myself thinking back to the moment when it started. You know, you could have seen a season that began with champagne flutes on the beach and thought, <laughs> yeah. like, this isn't real, right? Like, this is, they're not, yeah. get, they're not here to play. This is all theater, and it was it never felt like that and i think that is an incredible achievement these these players sometimes the fact that they were so self-aware and hyper conscious of of the season that they were on and who they were playing against manifested in a kind of uh, a, a a kind of gameplay and energy that I think maybe the show didn't quite know how to manifest and produce. You know, Riley, you've spent a lot of time talking about the, and Jason, this has been a, a, a Twitter interest of yours all season, the whispering a tribal moments during the season where you couldn't yeah. necessarily even understand what was happening or how we had gotten to a certain result. But all that aside, I thought that the chance to watch people we love do a thing that we love was an incredible gift and i enjoyed Agreed. every single second of it
2: i i completely agree i think that a, a number of things stand out for me this season one is the kind of mix of st- of styles that we mm-hmm. saw you know like there's been a lot of talk in 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 recent seasons especially seasons where we've had people come back uh, about new school versus old school. Cambodia is a good example of a place where um, kind of the the overall strategy of Survivor switched from this kind of like more slow-paced, kind of like alliance-based game to this frenetic, who can I align with in this five minutes to get to a goal kind of gameplay. And I think we saw a, a, a good mix of that this season almost like an ideological battle between old school and new school, which I think new school uh, pr- pretty convincingly won. I-, I thought that was fascinating. I-, I was really struck, Mal, to your point, about the, not just the self-awareness, but I, I guess for lack of a better term, the professionality of these players. Yeah. You know, it, it, so much of Survivor is hurt feelings and people blowing up, like the the great, the the Sue, uh, snake and the rat speech people just, it, Trisha blowing up at Tony in Kageon asking, like, was it was it worth, like, the soul of your dead father to win the dollars Oh, God. You know? <laughs> um, but to have players who have been through it before and, did, and won it for, before, I think it, it was, they elevated the game because there was an understanding of, this is just all about the game. You know, that great moment when Tony pulled Adam aside and was like... You know what this is. You know well, why are you why are you freaking out about this? You know what, what's happening right now. This is a Survivor. We're just like, uh, and and I think that that it really showed another level. Listen, I miss I miss people getting their feelings hurt because they got blindsided and betrayed and had no idea what was going on, and then blowing up in a in a tribal. I love that too, but this kind of highly highly professionalized and compartmentalized strategic gameplay. It was just like highly entertaining. I, I, I really enjoyed it.
1: As a a celebration of 20 years and 40 seasons. And they really, th- it's so different than the way they did Heroes versus Villains, which was 10 years, 20 seasons. This was designed to be, we're going to celebrate our champions. We're going to celebrate our history of Survivor. Um, it made it great for the ringer for content because we got to look back and get all nostalgic along with Jeff Probst and everybody else. And I think the season really worked well on that level, especially considering so many of the old school favorites went home so early. It was still able to feel like it was doing something on behalf of this entire game as if like this season was a little bit bigger than just one more season of survivor or the all winners edition of survivor but a milestone in what this show has meant for reality television for television as a whole for american culture as a whole and i think if that's what they set out to accomplish they crushed it
0: yeah i think that that is an incredibly important point and part of this you know it was such a Long finale, three hours, and obviously typically a lot of that time is spent at a reunion show that didn't exist. So this was almost every second of that, aside from the final vote vote reading on Zoom and the couple of minutes of here's how I built my set in my garage explanation that we got from Jeff was really centered (laughs) on what was actually unfolding in the game so much happened after the final edge of extinction challenge to win, win the spot back in the game that it's easy to forget what happened there. But I, I think it's worth to that point you just made Riley about this celebration of how, of something that's been in our lives for, for many of us since the very first season, two decades. I'm a really easy mark for this stuff. I admit that freely, but like I was slacking you guys as, the Survivor legends were were going one by one talking about what this experience has meant to them. And I was like sobbing. I was so touched by it, so moved by it. And I'm getting emotional right now just thinking about it because it was (laughs) 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 so predictable, so on brand. But it was just this, it was this recognition of the thing that you as a viewer are feeling as you watch it. This through line in your life. And you know, we one of the things that we we published this week today, actually was the Survivor Hall of Fame. Shouts to to Riley for his work on this incredibly cool and fun theme week. I wrote about Tyson in the Hall of Fame. and one of the things that I was thinking about while writing about him was how we have gotten to watch him grow and mature all, in in front of us, on our television screens. Like he's a different human being now than when we met him. And many of the things that are elemental to his character, you know, that, that wily, roguish spirit, that snark, obviously still present, elemental to who he is. But think of a handful of the final moments we got with Tyson this season. He voted for Natalie because she touched him so deeply with her generosity by giving him an idol. He spoke about his children And the gift of fatherhood and realizing what his real purpose in life was. And he cried on TV multiple times talking about that. I thought that was just, like, incredibly moving. Seeing Rob and Amber, obviously Amber predictably Emma! hit the mark and was just like <laughs> wonderful to watch. Seeing them talk about what Survivor has meant for their lives and what they have meant for each other. Hearing Ethan talk about how, you know, everybody says, oh, this game changes my life. And he said, it literally saved my life. I mean, it was just this, this incredible series of testimonials about what this experience has meant to those people. And we have had the privilege of participating in it by watching them. I am a more, certainly the more cynical of the
2: binge mode uh, (laughs) pair. Um, But that got to me too. That really got to me too. And I think it was, it was, you know, obviously a combination of just how sincere and heartfelt it obviously those testimonies obviously were. The moment in time that we are in where it's just natural to take stock of the things that you value and enjoy and, and recognize their importance in your life. You know, I've spent time with Boston Rob and Amber and Ethan and Tyson, and they've been a part of my life and I appreciate them. That really got to me too. And I think back to, back to your part of your original point, Riley, I I, recency bias is, is hard to kind of like cut through, but I certainly would put this easily a top three season, if not the best season that we've ever seen. Certainly a landmark in, in terms of, of, what it means for the franchise, a statement about where the series is in this particular moment of ta- in time, and a celebration and a reflection about what it has meant. It had yes. everything.
1: I think, for the record, I'd be a little more bearish on the season. I'd probably have it mm. floating around the top 10, but certainly not uh, in my wow. top five. Not in your top five. But I love, I love Survivor. So if it's in the top 10, it's in 10 seasons that I absolutely adore. There are probably like 30 seasons that I love and then some seasons that are kind of clunkers, but that's okay. Even those still have something in it for me. I thought this season was great. I didn't expect just because they had an all-star cast that this season would necessarily be. And in some ways it wasn't. In some ways, you know, I don't like The Edge of Extinction. I thought sometimes the editing was a yeah. little rushed. I hated that all of the old schoolers got booted early. In so many other yeah. ways, this season did things that were great, from Tony's win to the celebration aspects that we're talking about to the really moving social bonds that we saw to the, the moving elements of watching players grow before us. I mean, what this season nailed, it absolutely nailed. So even though there are some flaws, it's a great season of Survivor, and I'm so happy that we all got to watch it together and experience it together.
2: Uh, to your note about the, uh, the great players, the older players going home first, I think that what we've seen is a pretty authoritative repudiation of the kind of old school way of playing. The way the game is now is just fast and frenetic and all the time, the kind of Rob Mariano buddy system type of thing, that just... That doesn't work anymore. That kind of stuff doesn't work anymore. Sandra's anyone but me, you know, and I'm going to sit out the challenges. It doesn't work anymore. You kind of have to have an all-around game and you have to be uh, Tony level on it all the time. Eat, sleep, and and drink moves. And I think while this season was a w- also a wonderful celebration of w- of the history of this show, it was also a pretty brutal rejection of the way this game has been played prior to uh, like, I don't know, Cambodia or something like it, the way it's played now is just different.
0: Interesting. I, that gets at the crux of, I think one of the only things I didn't like about the season, which is, I, I don't know if I feel quite as strongly as you do about the, the kind of rejection of a certain style of play though. I definitely agree that it is a, uh, a, a totem to the necessity of of evolving gameplay. Found myself at a certain point in the season, and then I and then I, I shifted back because I was so fascinated by Tony that I wanted to watch him. But at a certain point, maybe in the middle of the season, when a lot of the people who I love and have a, a great amount of affection for had been sent to the edge, where I just wanted to be spending more time with the people who weren't really on the show anymore <laughs> than I did with the people who were actually in the tribes. Like I, I, I just ultimately more interested in what Rob and Tyson and Parv have to say then no shade Adam let's say <laughs> so <laughs>
1: just picking somebody <laughs> at random one, of course one example. just
2: picking it. shouts to Adam by the way making about making it about himself at final tribal i have Love to say dude.
0: quietly one of the best moments of the finale was that exact instance followed by Rob being like I'm actually going to make that speech now and everyone's going to love it. (laughs) Immediately on the heels of you trying to do it, which was so funny. But that kind of push-pull calculus of who you're actually interested in watching made me think about the, the kind of macro question of Survivor. And I'm curious to know where you guys stand on this after this season. Are you more interested in... New seasons with new contestants, getting to know new people, Jason, to your point, new styles of play, who's coming in to evolve it in the next way that we haven't even thought of yet, or because this was such a satisfying and rewarding viewing experience, are you eager to have another returnee season in some capacity? And obviously, it's not totally mutually exclusive. We will have, you know, both at some point in time. But do you find yourself craving time with old friends or getting to know new players? I would like to see a a newbie season
2: next. I think that, you know, the way that Survivor has kind of uh, evolved is these newbie seasons as a kind of like feeder system for the returnee system. And I think you you need that balance. You need to bring in new players and then you need to have some kind of second chance thing. And then you need to have a meeting of champions and then you start the cycle all over again. So I think that some kind of a new player season, and listen, it might be teens, folks. <laughs> As Jeff, please <Ugh>. please no. <laughs> please no. <laughs> what was that? Oh As Jeff, god. Jeff has called for the nation's teenagers to to <laughs> to be gathered to his bosom. Oh my god! Uh, I, <laughs> I think clearly we're looking at at some new, oh. and not just new, but like new to life players. Uh, flocking into the into the system quite soon.
1: I will say I have a <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts here. While it's true that the the old schoolers got massacred on this season, we did kind of see the game come down to a very strong alliance of Tony, Ben and Sarah and possibly Denise in there as well. I mean, she wasn't flip flopping at the end. And so the game the gameplay has totally evolved. It is not the same game that it was 10 years ago. Certainly not the same game that it was 15 years ago. And maybe that is part of why the old schoolers got wiped out. But at its core, Survivor is still a game about social bonds and trust. And it has always been about that. And that is part of why I love it so much is that that is the through line. And while there is much more room for flip-flopping, backstabbing, and blindsides, and betrayal now, and that that is a big shift, the game at its essence is still the same game. You could still see some old schoolers coming back and maybe adapting and having success. I would be down for some kind of old school versus new school season. Maybe you split the tribes up that way. Maybe in retrospect that's how they should have done this season. Yeah,
2: I I, I think that's probably the case.
1: But I will say I love newbie seasons. To me they're like the one pure type of survivor season because on a newbie season no one knows anyone. And so each person out there can be any type of player they want to be. They come in with no reputation, no previous relationships, no pre-game alliances. They come in with nothing. And if they want to play a game where they betray and backstab, they can do that. If they want to play a game around trust, they can do that. But nobody knows what the people they're playing with are like, whether they are trustworthy or not. They're only going to know these players for a month at most. And I just always love seeing that play out it'll never get old to me
2: yeah it's it's interesting for me the sweet spot is the second chance season
1: i love that too the evolution
2: yeah yeah when when a player comes in after their rookie season and kind of made some waves but maybe uh and maybe got some fans but maybe went out a little earlier than the audience would have liked i love seeing them come back with uh, with a little experience under their belt trying to figure out the game but you know obviously had before they've reached a level where they're an actual champion. That's, to me, the sweet spot is the second chance.
1: We got a little bit of that with Tony this season, because even though it was his third season out there, he clearly learned so much from both Kagayan and especially Game Changers. We got some of that from players like Michelle, who evolved her game a little bit. I enjoy seeing that, too, when players, they know that they have to do something more, something differently, and they adjust.
0: It's that, that, that word again, balance. You know, I, I feel like one of my favorite seasons of all time is David versus Goliath. And part of that was the thrill of watching Christian work. And you need seasons like that, not only to replenish the stores, but to, uh, to allow the gameplay to evolve along with the game. But, you know, I think of it a little bit in the same terms as I think about reading, like. And Jason and I talk about this all the time. There's this constant internal dissonance that I experience, where I'm like, should I read a new book or should I read Harry Potter for the nine thousandth time? Right. And it's it's a little bit similar where you want to experience something new. Of course, that's part of life. But nothing in the world brings me more joy than reading Goblet of Fire again. And that's kind of how I feel about like watching Tyson and Boston Rob play. So I hope that these people are back in our lives. I hope that people like Christian come back for a second round. And then I also hope that we get to meet whoever the next Tony is. I love Survivor. Keep the children off my screen though. I don't want that. (laughs) I don't want that. They're
1: coming. Oh my God. Uh, I think we've done a good job of talking about this season as a whole. Let's also talk about this episode and kind of just take it in order and break it down in a little more detail because we had three hours. There was so much that happened. We're probably not going to hit on every interesting or funny or noteworthy moment, but I think we can hit on some of them. So let's just start at the top. It begins with the challenge to come back into the game. Natalie has three advantages. Um, nobody else has as good of a shot. She still almost blew it. And she amazing. almost blew a
2: three-advantage lead. Uh. I was watching
1: it back. <laughs> I was watching it back, and she was like through the rope post thing, and then she thought she wasn't, and she went back the other way. I mean, it was very close to disaster.
0: That had to just be nerves, right? Knowing that she I had waited know. that long to build up that many advantages and edges, and then to to, to, to feel the pressure of knowing that... the. Only reasonable outcome of that challenge is her winning. No other outcome there is acceptable based on how far ahead she was. And to not do it would have been mortifying, I think. That was painful to watch. My heart, I thought my heart was going to
1: explode. <laughs> and I mean, you know, she'd been starving on the edge of extinction for a month. I think if her brain is a little bit scrambled at that point, that's totally understandable.
2: Hey, did it, was she starving? I mean, she had, obviously had some peanut butter, but like I am, listen, she's. Probably the greatest survivor athlete of all time. yeah, I was absolutely in awe of her ability to maintain her strength. Incredible. on edge, after being there longer than anybody, everybody else looked like bones. look at like bones. <laughs> and she looked like LeBron out there like <laughs> I is, is there creatine in that peanut butter? Like, oh, I God. don't
0: get it. I don't get it amazing. Uh, just a, a a mind-bending, mind-bending physical performance from her. I mean, we'll obviously talk about Final Tribal in detail later, but the moment where she got to list every single thing that she had won and send back into the game, it was like, holy shit, this is actually a Cooperstown induction speech. This is your Brooks Robinson 16 consecutive gold gloves. Like She never took a day off out there. I don't know how it was possible, but it was miraculous to witness. I think... One of the one of the quieter moments that speaks best to her feat of strength was when, not the log challenge, which was also incredible, but the coconut challenge. At the very end, she's like, I guess I'll just go win this now because I yeah, decided I just, to.
2: Right. <laughs> I guess I'll just go. I'll just torch Sophie right now. I'll just oh now I'll turn it on. Unbelievable. Unbe- yeah. It's incredible stuff.
1: When, they, when all of the, the, the Edge of Extinction members were standing there after the challenge, I mean, some of them just looked wiped. Like, you could That's see awful. the toll it that awful. it had taken. And Natalie, I, I, it's unbelievable. She looked great.
0: Were you guys rooting for her to be the one who came back from the Edge? Or was there another outcome uh, you wanted more? I was agnostic
2: about it, but I think that she is unquestionably deserving in terms of just... Again, how long she's been out there, how influential she's been to the game at large out there, and how strong she managed to stay out there, which again, kind of unbelievable, just unbelievable. Like if if it would if it was to come out that there was another beef jerky uh, conspiracy theory, like that she had <laughs> somehow <laughs> smuggled some source of protein out there, I would a hundred percent believe it.
1: There was a moment where. Yule came running up to his table and I was like, oh my gosh, Yule might be able to do this. I forgot that he could come back. But for the most part, I was pretty happy with anyone coming back, or at least of the players that were kind of in it right there at the end. They were all players who I would have been happy to see back.
0: Yeah. I really wanted Robert Tyson just because they're my favorites and I'm such a sucker for them. But I think one of the moments where I realized that the season had been a complete and total success in my mind was when the challenge actually started and I realized I was rooting for Natalie, despite my personal attachments to those players, because she had won that part of the season and deserved to make it. And it's the old rooting for the story thing, you know, (laughs) You hear sports writers say, it's like Natalie coming back was the best story. And her being able to talk about and her achievements at the end was really the only thing that made sense to go head to head with Tony, because it was the different choice that you could have made if you if you thought you wanted something else. And it was really I think that Sarah would have gotten a lot of votes if she had been there at the end. But the Natalie Tony dynamic was ultimately the most interesting one for the season to boil down to based on how it unfolded. I
2: think all of that said, this season really highlighted how flawed Edge is. Uh, I think they kind of got away with one here in terms of Tony winning. I think it would have been an uproar had Natalie won. Although I think that you can make the case for her. I certainly can make the case for her. And I was uh, absolutely preparing to do so in the middle of this episode. But I think I, I, I think the edge is it's flawed to to your earlier point about how isolated it seems. I think the tokens and then the various advantages and disadvantages is a good way to kind of link the events on the edge to to the game at large, but I think there needs to be something. It needs to go both ways because it's just too isolating. And then to throw someone in at the end, they have no kind of social bonds with, they're not aware of what's been happening. The people in the game aren't aware of like what's been, of the conversations that have gone on in the edge. I think it's just too, it's too randomized. It's not not quite baked enough. And I think something needs to be tweaked there.
1: I totally agree. And uh, I think we can talk more about the edge in a minute. Everyone knows who's listening to this podcast knows I'm not a fan of the edge of extinction.
0: This is going to be Riley's final tribal speech when in five minutes he just dunks on the edge uninterrupted
1: for like 17
0: minutes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just start frothing at the mouth. I'm like, all right, guys, you have anything to add? No, because I have more to say. (laughs) But I do want to talk about, so we get the final six or really the second final six. And we get this tribal council that results in Denise going home. And this might be the most interesting tribal council of this episode to me, because it's the one where the players really had a chance to do something very strategic, which was split the votes the way that Tony wanted so that Ben Tony and Tony knew. could save their idols. Tony he knew. knew. Tony knew. And Sarah Tony knew. and Ben come out of this looking not Tony knew. great. Not ideal with their read on the situation. I mean, I don't know, man. Tony knew.
0: I don't understand this. I'm actually really hoping one of you can explain this to me. Like, there are a lot of moments when I watch Survivor and I think, it is impossible for me as a person who is not playing Survivor to understand what it is like for the person who is playing Survivor. This was not one of those moments. Like, you have seen unambiguously that Natalie has collected. She is the collector looking for her Infinity Stones the number of fire tokens she had won, the number of advantages, just all you had to see was what she had in the challenge. You didn't even need to know anything else to just assume that there was no chance she had come back with an idol or some other kind of advantage that she should play at Tribal. It felt not only like a mystery, but disconnected from the reality of the game in a way that I really struggled to accept. What what were Sarah and Ben thinking? I rationalize it this way. You know, one
2: of the kind of themes of the season for Sarah... Who had a wonderful speech? Who we'll talk, which which we'll talk about. I'm sure. Um, I think one of the themes of this season for Sarah was a wild overconfidence in her own abilities and stature within the game and her play at any given moment. I think she, you know, she even says, "Hey, in in the time that Natalie has been here, I made a bond with her, and I am a, I'm sure she, she was not have, have told an idol me. Right. because she would have told me." Which was just a wild, wild, wild misread that actually comports with her play over the last few episodes in terms of just being very, very confident about something that was wrong. Ben, I think, kind of like fast forwarding to the events that spooled out uh, right after this, had in some way emotionally checked out, I think. And I think he was just kind of on cruise control. Like he didn't want to commit to the to the Mental and strategic effort that would have been necessary had he decided that yes, you were right, Natalie has an idol, and I think he, I think he just was like, I don't, I don't want to go that extra mile. I, I'm done. I like, I'm, I'm ready to just kind of go with what is happening. I don't want to have to strategize at that level. I think she doesn't, and that's it. And I think that that's what had occurred there. Meanwhile, Tony was just you know had sniffed the whole thing out.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about Ben. He he you don't necessarily count on him to make the right read, but Sarah Sarah's a good player. Sarah's usually very astute. And for a decent chunk of the episode to basically be splicing between Her saying, guess who's in control? Sarah. Sarah knows what's going on. And things like, I always have to tell them, will you just trust me? Calm down about Tony as we are seeing that he is clearly right. And we know that Natalie does have this advantage was was a little disorienting given how well she typically reads the board. Well, I think clearly,
2: like separating herself from Tony was top of mind even before Natalie had kind of stirred the pot coming back from edge. And I think that That was, that clearly was a lens that she was viewing this situation through. And she was consciously or unconsciously looking for a place that she could break with Tony. And I I think this was one and clearly the wrong one. Mm -hmm.
1: The other thing is that even though Sarah did not present it this way, at least on the episode, the edit that we got, it might be good for her to flush Tony and Ben's idols, right? Because then she goes to final five without all of these people with trinkets in their pockets. So now maybe Ben or Tony could use the idol on her, but it just gets one or really two more people out there who are vulnerable, and that could help her not be a target at Final Five. So maybe there was some of that thinking too. Now, that's not the way she said it. She was like, Natalie doesn't have an idol. We don't have to split the votes. I'm in control, Uh, which kind of makes her look like a little bit of a fool on this boot in particular.
0: Yeah, though I do think broadly, one of the things that was compelling about this season is that the players were largely unafraid to look like fools. That is actually a more rewarding and satisfying viewing experience if everybody who's involved is willing to say, I'm in control right now. I mean, we saw that from a lot of people. And basically, I think the, the, the mileage varies on the response based on whether that's someone you're rooting for or whether it's someone you're not, but generally speaking, the 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 kind of unvarnished confidence, when that pans out, it's like the most fun thing to see on Survivor. And so I actually think it's a it's a worthwhile trade-off to see moments where people look a little bit silly. I just thought it was a little, a little surprising from Sarah at that point in the game. That's all.
1: The other thing I guess you could say is if they split the votes there two, 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 they are mm-hmm. also opening themselves up to Like Denise flipping and being like, actually, maybe I want to sit next to Natalie and Michelle at the end and not Tony or Sarah. And maybe instead of putting the votes on Ben or whoever, they write Tony's name down and they get him out. They get a big target and they blindside him with an idol in his pocket. And it's a whole huge thing. So you have to know, like if you're going to split the votes the way that Tony is proposing, you have to know that those four are absolutely solid. And maybe Sarah wasn't as confident as Tony was. I also wonder how many times, like when Sarah's like, oh, I have to calm Tony down. I wonder how many times Tony was paranoid about an idol or an advantage or something crazy happening that we just weren't shown and she did have to kind of calm him down.
2: I'm sure that that is the case. I mean, it, you know, Tony's energy is no sleep for 39 days. So uh, the idea that he, the idea that he would uh, kind of cross over into
1: manic paranoia is absolutely reasonable f- to me. All right, let's do the next tribal council. In between this, we have Tony wins immunity at Final Five.
0: Did you want to talk about Sarah's speech quickly? Oh, let's Riley? do that.
1: Actually, yeah, let's call that. So before we got to the vote at this tribal council, Sarah gave this really great speech about the gender roles in Survivor and what women can do that men and what men can do and what each can't do. Mostly what women, if they do it, they get painted as more villainous than men if they do it. And I don't know. I thought it was great. This is one of the more moving moments in an episode that was really moving overall.
2: I agree. I think that it's particularly coming off the events of the previous season. Mm Mm-hmm. Is absolutely a necessary thing. Listen, like uh, I think of the way Parvati isn't really has, was always targeted as like either the flirt and, and not respected for her very keen strategic mind. I think that that it is an absolutely fair and good and necessarily necessary point that Sarah made throughout her speech. Um, and I think, you know, like I've been going back through old Survivors just because there's no sports. It is kind of wild, the stuff that was okay. Oh, yeah. Ten seasons ago. A lot of what's aged the worst
0: contenders. A
2: lot of what has aged the worst. And I think that Sarah's speech and everyone else's kind of acknowledgement of evolution and Probst's uh, acknowledgement of his own kind of a. Uh, failings as a host in 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 this regard i think was really necessary
0: and good i think her finding the courage to say it out loud is incredible and i think that in general both in in that moment and when 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 conversations like that happen on survivor about something that transcends the game something that is true to life when jeff you know you noted you noted jeff uh, acknowledging his own bias and his bias over the course of the show I, I just think it's a pretty rare thing that Survivor is is able to do that not a lot of other pop culture experiences are, where you actually do feel like people are having a conversation about something that's real. And that is, of course, one of the core pillars of the show. That's one of the ideas that it's built on. I thought that one of the most effective moments in the entire finale was like three seconds. And it's it's just Jeff talking about what Survivor is. And that that line that he had about the human spirit. like that, at its essence, is what we love about Survivor. And that's going to manifest differently player to player, season to season, viewer to viewer. But something like what we got out of uh, out of Sarah in that moment and the response that that elicited in her fellow cast mates and Jeff, and I think many people watching it, was about that. It's about what it means to be a person and go through your life and face the challenges that are either unique to you or universal. And when Survivor is able to give us something like that, it is it is really powerful and cool.
1: I, I thought that Sarah's speech was great and that we can also acknowledge that even if often on Survivor, if there are a duo of players, a man and a woman, and they're both making strategic moves, typically the male player gets a little bit more credit than the female player. But that in this specific instance, Tony probably played a better game than Sarah. If for the only reason that if you look at the two moves that they made without the other one, Tony has the Sophie boot, Sarah has the Ben boot. Well, I know which of those boots is more impressive.
0: Right. So I think
1: that Tony beats Sarah at the end. That's fine. But we can also look at it and say, huh, we've had a run of male winners now. We're Mm -hmm. at the point where almost two-thirds of Survivor winners are men. And there is something about the game, particularly in recent seasons, that may be pushing the scales toward players that are more physically dominant, better at finding idols and advantages, uh, better at playing very flashy strategic games, doing backstabbings and blindsidings and stuff. And that tends to benefit men over women in this game.
2: You know, like something beyond the structure of the game, which I'm not totally convinced that there is something structural in terms of the uh, of the actual game that over-selects male champions. I will say one thing I've noticed in watching back, and I don't know how you how you negate this, is a oversensitivity of male players to the possibility of a female alliance.
1: Oh yeah, my gosh, for sure. it's there so a, prevalent. There
2: is a paranoia. A a. a a real paranoia that it might be happening and that it's happening and that they're talking. I saw them go over and talking. There's a female Alliance. We have to snuff it out. And I think that that is a thing that I don't know how you fix. And it is a real issue. Now, sometimes truly brilliant uh, female players have been able to flip that and, and use the specter of this female Alliance Mm. to their benefit that is rare and doesn't happen a lot. What does happen a lot is guys coming in and going, they're they're plotting against us. It's right. happening. They're gonna start doing it and, and we need to strike first. And to me, that is the more pressing issue and a thing that I just don't understand how you fix.
0: Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And I thought that one of the really really interesting things about not only the substance of what Sarah was saying, but how everyone responded to it was that it kind of operated on two planes at once. Uh, on the on the one hand, it is it is a, a, an, an, a, a testimonial, right? The fact that I am a strong woman is something that should be celebrated. I think that you very clearly saw the way that that resonated with, just as one example, Parvati. Even the way that Natalie was conducting her game at the end. Now, of course, this was primarily geared toward eliminating, trying to eliminate Tony and making sure that everybody understood that he was going to get the votes, that he was the chief threat, but also often saying things like, I talked to the girls today, you know, banding together with those players and, and not making any efforts to hide it. That was part of what the, the, the intent was. I think the other, the other plane there is that part of what Sarah was saying is that it, it, it shouldn't matter assess me as a player assess me as a player think about my game and you know again when you think about how survivor reflects something about society and whether that is uh, a positive thing that we take heart in or something that forces the the collecting viewing public to look inward and maybe say we need to reflect on something that needs to change and we need to build a little bit more awareness about. That was an effective moment in that sense, reminding everybody whether they're listening to her make a case for her game, but also for who she is as a, as a person, right? And I think that that's somebody, something that probably everybody can relate to, and I, I, I did it. I really, I really thought it was heartening to hear how everybody responded to that. Everybody, you know, I think of Sarah as somebody who I respect and admire and like working with.
1: And nobody was like, "Oh, she's just saying that to try and get uh, the jury on her side to try and do stuff for final tribal is trying to get in early." It wasn't strategy. I mean, that that stuff was real for her, and she, it was good.
0: I think that that was real for her. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. You know, I thought that Dalton Ross did a really good job of writing about that in his his recap for EW, that there's actually nothing shameful at all about Sarah realizing that she had to start making her case. That's part of Part of the narrative of her season is like what you guys were saying before, being able to understand and identify that she actually had to start separating from Tony in some way. And part of that was talking about the nature of their partnership and how other people perceived it and what the reality was versus what that perception was. I don't think there's no one but Sarah can know what the balance there was. And again, I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. I think something can be completely heartfelt and what you feel in your in your soul and also can be something that is germane to how the game is unfolding. Right.
2: Yes. I mean, well, listen, nothing is more persuasive than something that you
0: really feel. Believe. Yes, exactly.
2: So uh, to me, even if she's consciously making that speech in order to begin building her jury case, who the fuck cares? That's something she actually believes. And, And the fact... And the fact that she did it and chose that moment, I think it is not at all a knock on the substance and the emotion behind that statement.
1: If anything, it bolsters her. So the way that this ends up playing out is they don't split the votes. Right. Four votes on Natalie. (laughs) Two votes (laughs) on Ben. Everybody plays their idols. Tony plays his idol, even though he doesn't need to. Ben plays his, he did need to. Natalie plays hers, and she did need to though I guess it happens in the opposite order. So there's no votes cast. We get basically this de facto 0-0 tie. Uh, they end up tie-breaking the vote and putting the votes on Denise, which I was actually kind of surprised by. I sort of thought that Sarah was going to go home there. Mm-hmm. You know, Denise kind of played a very quiet game, got a quiet edit as the first boot in the finale tends to in kind of a weird way but I was impressed by her. She made a deep run. What do we want to say about Denise?
2: I think she played a wonderful kind of below the radar game, picked her spots, obviously made, made a huge tribal move. uh, She'll always be the queen
1: slayer. She will always
2: be the queen slayer for that. Uh, I think she's a very dangerous player that is, that is very easy to overlook. Great social game, very good at building alliances and plays within herself is a dangerous physical competitor and just understands like when to make a move. There are a lot of players that we've seen throughout survivor history that are kind of low key that never, that don't have the instinct to make that Queenslayer move. You know, Amanda is a great one of those who was like to Jeff even noted, lacked the killer instinct in the moment to really go for it. Um, And I think Denise is not that Denise while she kind of like plays below the below um the notice of of the edit, mm-hmm. absolutely will go for the jugular when she needs to and showed it this season.
0: Yeah. I, I was thinking about Denise more often than I expected to this season, right? <laughs> and it's somebody who found subtle ways to be highly relevant. I think that she had, in, in many respects, one of the single best moves, not only of the season, but of Survivor. It's a, it's a it's a, legendary moment in Survivor history. That's something she'll always have. And also, by the way, she's won Survivor before. That's why she was on the season in the first place. That's not a, a bad one-two punch. And I think another thing that you saw is how much affection other people had for Denise. And I always yeah, find people that... really
2: people really loved her.
0: Yeah, I, I always find that really notable. You know, who do other people respond to in that sense and i think that whether or not that ends up mattering at the end you know we had a a case in this episode where you could say it doesn't because i think a lot of people have real affection for michelle we're giving her fire tokens care about her as a human being and none of them voted for her so that's not necessarily the most important thing being well liked but i think that denise has has that that affection from her fellow contestants which i always enjoy seeing
1: Denise is one of, of every survivor player, one of the players who is just so, so, so comfortable in her own skin. And she doesn't need to do anything to prove anything to anybody. And I find that really inspiring to watch her play and for her to just know that whatever happens, she is comfortable with herself and how she's going to play. Let's move it along to the next tribal council. So, Tony wins immunity. Uh we go into the final 5 and this is a weird one because Ben gives Sarah the blessing to vote him out, which doesn't really make <laughs> so sense strange. to me. I know I know both of you have thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, you know, listen, again, this season has been was about evolution almost every Contestant on this season talked about how this game has changed them and what they're trying to do this time around and how they're trying to be in a lot in in not so many words a better person. I will say that Ben's it's about the friendships. Yeah, this time speech rings a little tinny to me. After you win the million, it's it's all well and good to say you know what it's about the friendships we made along the way. Because PS, I already won the bag. It just it, it it doesn't, it doesn't quite land for me. And I also think in the most stacked cast that we've ever seen, you could argue, to make a final five and then kind of throw it away. Outrageous. I, I don't love it. I don't love it. And not only that, to throw it away in in a way that undercuts the person you're throwing it to, it undercuts their narrative. Being in control, making the decisions, and earning it, it's kind of like a lose 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 all around for me. i didn't I didn't love it, but i I also acknowledged that it was important to Ben and that he felt that sincerely. But I didn't love it,
0: yeah, correct. I <laughs> was absolutely befuddled watching this. Now, I would like to... You know, sometimes it can be hard when you talk about Survivor because you're assessing gameplay and strategic decision-making and you have to remember that these are human beings. And I do want to say that up front. Like, Ben has been, I think, remarkably candid about his personal struggles in life. And I think that whatever he is feeling in his heart about the value of a given relationship in his life and the worth of that and and how much that means to him is obviously not something that any of us have the ability or the right to diminish. So if he feels that and it's real to him, then go with God. Like, that's great. Just- However, in terms of just <laughs> and again, I, I'm being I'm being sincere. Like I'm not being an asshole. I don't want to diminish that. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, we do, we we are talking about Survivor and the finale of Survivor. So we do have to talk about how that unfolded within the game itself. And I just I have a hard time reading it. You know, Jay, you're talking about the million he'd already won. I I just write it fully as he knew he had no shot at the next prize. He knew he had no shot. There is, there is no way you do that if you think you can win. And I think he he had arrived at a moment of clarity where he realized that he was not going to get any votes. If you are Jeremy or Denise or even Nick, any of the recent people who were were voted out, Kim, you must be watching that with, on the one hand, again, empathy for a human being who you have gotten to know. But on the other hand, I think probably soul deep rage rage that someone got that far in this season and then was willing to say I, it's actually okay. If I don't move forward to your point about, I think not realizing he was actually undercutting Sarah's resume. That's something I would like to talk about for a second. Cause I c- could not possibly agree with you more. I thought that that was so bizarre that he thought that the, t- the thing Sarah needed to make her case to the jury was taking out Ben who I think in the minds of many people on that jury was a non-factor in the end game of this season. And especially if the subtext of that was not even that she had done it because finding the strength to turn on your alliance in the moment of necessity is always part of the survivor story. But he had told her to, and presumably that would have come out at some point, unless that's something they decide to take to their graves together I, I just thought that was so, so strange. And even though on a, on a human level, there was something really touching about seeing them cry together and seeing the emotion that they felt for each other and this shared experience, which I, I, I felt like privileged to see. I thought from a gameplay perspective in the context of the Survivor season, it was one of the single most confounding things that happened on the show.
2: And I think, I'm glad you brought up Jeremy, because I am still confused about what, why the animosity between them existed in the first place, where it came from and why it was so personal. I, I've watched back those episodes and I feel like we're missing some kind. Con- that is one of the things that just absolutely confuses me about this season. Jeremy was like a uh, target number one for Ben for a long time, would not speak to him, refused to deal with him at all.
1: What happened? And in like a, a personal way, too, that yeah, seemed very to strange. almost transcend the game, which is yeah. very strange because you mentioned it earlier, Jason. These players are almost professionals at this, and they kept it very professional throughout the season. And that was kind of the one relationship that felt a, a little unprofessional. That's one of the things when I say, oh, this season has some flaws. It's some of that missing context where right, I felt
0: understanding what happened there.
1: They just didn't have enough time to show it to us. And so we'll never really understand exactly what happened. And that is a little bit frustrating for me.
0: Yeah, it's just bizarre. And Jeremy's one of the most likable people in the history of Survivor. Like, who doesn't like Jeremy? I can understand thinking that Jeremy is a threat and wanting to remove him from the game. Absolutely. Because you worry about whether you could beat him. That would make sense. But just being like, I can't talk to this guy. Yikes.
2: Yeah, very weird. Very strange.
1: Ben... Almost sort of de facto quits. Uh, they get him out, even though they could have gotten Michelle out, and even if Natalie had played the idol correctly, it would have been the same result. Ben going home.
0: Do you think though that that Natalie needed to play that that idol there for Michelle, even though it wouldn't have actually impacted the yes. outcome? That felt like one of the there were there were a couple missteps for her at the end, and that felt like one of the potentially crucial ones because it would have it would have been the right de- decision to show she was going to do anything necessary.
1: I totally think it's a misstep. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: absolutely agree. I think that of her missteps uh, in the end game, it was perhaps the most understandable. You know, she just come back from edge. She's she values security. I get it, but yeah, I totally agree. She to bolster her case, she needed to play that for Michelle.
1: We get to the final four. We have Natalie, Michelle, Tony, and Sarah. And Natalie wins immunity at a challenge that I love, which is the one with the these two balls that you have to keep catching and putting in the thing. They got
2: five balls.
1: It looks so hard. I mean, I would have loved if this had been a classic challenge where it's like whoever holds on to the wooden idol longest wins. I understand why Survivor doesn't want to film for 11 or 12 hours and why that's difficult for them. And so they don't really do challenges like that anymore. But this was a good one. I love this challenge.
0: Amazing to watch. I was so, so, so proud of Michelle watching this. Like, obviously, Natalie actually won. And again, her we could just do an entire podcast talking about her athletic prowess. It's miraculous, I think. I don't know nearly as much as you do, Riley, about the nature of how much... Uh, How many tweaks they're making in the moment? Do they decide in advance what challenge goes when? Like, Could there have been a longer kind of obstacle course thing here that they decided, oh, no, this is just too stacked in Natalie's favor. We need something that levels the playing field a bit. I have no idea. I would defer to you on that. But regardless, Michelle, and we haven't talked about her much, this was one of many, many, many moments that we got from Michelle in the final quarter of the season where she just said, I know that everybody watching this probably thinks I have no chance and I do not give a shit and can't wait to prove you wrong. (laughs) That was just such a delightful surprise every week in the back half of the season, seeing how she refused to give up and the fact that she knew that other people were doubting her was the source of so much of her courage. It was incredible. I was very proud of her. It's absolute same, you know,
2: especially to come off a a really bruising display in a challenge in which afterwards she broke down and cried because she had done so poorly to then come in and one, dominate the puzzle. Like, like, be lagging behind the physical element and then come into the circle
1: puzzle. A puzzle she'd won before.
2: A puzzle she'd won before and crush it so completely. I mean, the camera cuts away when she arrives at the puzzle portion and then... Cuts back like a second later and she's already got the first level. I was just like, wait, what? Absolutely crush it. And then to, as you noted, Mal, really hang in in a way that was inspiring in in the challenge that we're talking about. A great display from Michelle and a great kind of like late break in the game to show that she deserves to be there with everybody else.
1: I do think they tend to make the last immunity challenge something that gives everybody a shot. Um, it can be endurance based or like concentration based, which is very much what this challenge is. So I would imagine this was locked pretty well in advance and they don't switch around, though I know they have like swapped a reward challenge for an immunity challenge, often due to weather. You know, if it's raining, some challenges don't work. So they'll have to make an adjustment. But then. Speaking of good challenges, so Natalie wins. She decides to bring Michelle into the final three with her, and we get Tony and Sarah in the fire-making challenge. I think the fire-making challenge is usually not that good. It's usually a blowout. It's kind of like the first person who gets flame just ends up building it, and you already know who has won. It's kind of... It plays out like a boat race. It's like if you get ahead early, it's already over. You just have to wait for it to actually be over. This one was great, though. It was really close. It was down to the wire. The flames we right on that string it for was Sarah. The, it
0: was licking the string. She put too much husk down and smothered it. I the thought she had my it. my seat. I, uh, God, so many things here. One, we should talk about whether Natalie made the right decision by having Sarah go against Tony instead of having no. Michelle go against no, Tony. she did not. Absolutely
2: did not. Absolutely <laughs> nope. did not. She needed to take stock of what is she, what she had done to that point and realize that I've been not a part of this game for most of the game, and I need to make a move that shows people that I understand that I'm here now and that I understand who I need to beat. She needed to kill the king to be the king. She came in saying, everybody's talking about Tony, everybody's talking about Tony, everybody's talking about Tony.
1: She needed to come in and beat Tony. Tony saying, well, what's stopping you? As she was saying that she needed him to win. That was masterful because he basically subtly was telling the entire jury, look at this. She won't even go up against me.
0: Yep. I, I, you guys are completely right. And I acknowledge that, but I was also of two minds as I was watching this because on the one hand, the crisp precedent is there and it's established survivor canon and you will always be measured against it, period. And everybody on that season knows it. However... I think that, weirdly, because it is established precedent, it would not have actually impressed them as much as maybe we think it would have, because the shock of Chris doing that the first time was a truly, truly, truly revelatory survivor moment. You can't quite replicate that energy. All you're doing then is playing out someone else's script. And I thought that Natalie, while maybe the decision wasn't right, I thought she did a decent job of attempting to rationalize it which is at yeah. the end of the day i i was the first person voted out of this game i lasted the whole time on the edge i won as many advantages and many fire tokens as i could i won my way back in i came in with an idol I'm I, you know, i going to find another idol. I'm going to win immunity. I'm going to do every single thing I have to do, and to throw it all away on something I think I can't win is not the right strategy to me. One of the things that I know I can do and then can claim is breaking up the alliance that dominated the season. I thought that that was a fairly compelling case, but irrefutably, it was not the right one with the jury because we just we saw Rob say that, you know, I told you you needed to play a perfect game and and you you would have been if you had voted out this guy. And then he turns the paper to reveal he's voting for Tony because Rob is an icon.
1: (laughs) Rob is a master of the confessional. It's one of the most underrated survivor skills. And this was his first time ever to be on a jury and he killed it. I loved to I loved that voting confessional.
2: Yeah, I you know Mal, you bring up like some really good points and I totally agree with you. She has again, this is the wrong move. I think she has a compelling resume. I just think that all of that kind of crumbles the second Tony says what's stopping you? Then you've been called out and you need to respond. I think that that should have been the wake-up call in that moment where she says, "Okay, well, I need to step up and, and actually slay this dragon. Otherwise, I think if Tony doesn't say that, I like her case. I think she's got a strong case. I still think it's the wrong move, but I think she's got a strong case and maybe that sways people.
1: We get Tony winning in dramatic Thank fashion. God.
0: Imagine, that's the other thing very quickly. I don't mean to keep derailing us. If Tony plays the the best game by far all season long, long and then is not on fi- final tribal because he builds a fire three seconds slower, that I, I just think that goes down as a truly great survivor tragedy. I'm very glad we were spared of that. Yeah,
2: I was thinking a lot about this as Sarah's flames were licking that rope, and it looked like, and it looked very much like that could happen. You know, I I agree it would have been a tragedy, but also in a sense, one that Survivor has prepared us for in the past. You know, we've talked so much about how so often the winner isn't kind of the emblematic player of the season, you know, uh, uh, David versus Goliath was Christian season despite Nick winning. So I I was really stealing myself for that reality. And I am glad it did not <laughs> did not happen. Because man,
1: that would have been very tough. I, I agree. If Tony had not gotten the final tribal, it would have reminded me of like Suri on Micronesia where it's like somebody who has done by far enough to deserve to be there to state their case doesn't make it by just the smallest of margins. But if we don't have the fire-making challenge, maybe they all agree to vote Tony out, or maybe it's a fire-making challenge anyways because Tony and Sarah refused to vote for the other one. So they both put the votes on Michelle and Natalie. Michelle put the votes on Tony. So that, in which case it would have been a different matchup in the fire making challenge, but still would have been him making fire for his chance to, to get on the final tribal council. However, once he's there, we get, you know, this new final tribal council format that they've been doing for the last few seasons now, where instead of each person getting up there to, give a suhawk like speech or ask a specific question or whatever it is, we get these kind of three sections of discussion. Everybody gets to talk. It's a lot more open. Uh, it can be a lot less hostile. I don't really love it. I kind of like when somebody just yeah, drills same. somebody on tribal. I, lo-
0: it's, it's, I love it as well.
1: Um, but what stood out to you guys from final tribal council?
0: I'll never recover from Tyson not speaking. Now, I assume he did and it was just not a part of the episode, but I I was just waiting holding on for a signature tyson zinger and i really missed that yeah. and craved it i think obviously a couple things were going on there one it was pouring and they were all miserable i mean they looked, the, uh, they, looked poor <laughs> poor they looked sophie it, they oh looked my free. god and then, Dude, yeah that's Sophie. The, uh, we knew oh she was gosh. sick right so maybe a couple other people were sick too and just weren't feeling well because there were a few people who were pretty non-participatory in that event which i thought was sophie a little strange. was having
1: a rough time
0: brutal. She looked like Kurt Cobain in the
2: Smells Like Teen Spirit (laughs) video with just her hair lank and laying across her face. She looked, I just wanted to get her a cup of tea and hold an umbrella over her and put her to bed. She looked awful.
0: Brutal to be sitting there like that.
1: And I think that they all kind of did a a good job of defending their game. You know, it, it, one of the things that was nice about this Final Tribal Council is that they each represented a very different part of Winners at War. Michelle playing from the bottom, Tony playing the most impressive probably all-around game, and Natalie, the edge queen. And I think they all actually did a good job of seeing their case. Nobody won or lost Winners at War at Final Tribal Council.
2: I, I totally agree. Yeah. And one thing that, that, again, the professionality kind of shown through i was really struck by the level of respect between the jury and the three finalists you know there was a real appreciation for the way that each of them had played um and that was just really fun i do miss the, the brutal zingers <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i i absolutely love Watching somebody stand up and understanding that they have been grinding an axe for a long time, um, but that was really that was really great to see and really fitting for this season of Survivor.
0: Yeah, I think that my favorite moment, the thing that stood out to me the most from Final Tribal was probably two things. One, again, I was just very touched by Michelle and the introspection. That she displayed and then was willing to share with everybody else, and I think the the pride that you saw in other people's faces as she was talking, the fact that that did not manifest in a single vote for her is ridiculous. She deserved votes. I think she, that honestly, that is, shame on is Wendell. It's ridiculous. <laughs> really, 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 really tough luck.
1: Shame on Wendell.
0: Yeah, they have history, man. You can't you can't throw what? a vote to someone you have an actual real world relationship with.
1: No, man, they just kicked it. They just kicked it.
0: <laughs> Clearly, that relationship from everything we've seen this season did not go well. That's that's definitely uh, true. Ooh. But yeah. I, think, I think the other thing that really stood out to me was we consider Rob and Parv, rightly, among the greatest to have ever played. They're Mount Rushmore Survivor players. Again, check out the Survivor Hall of Fame. The moment where they kind of piggybacked off of each other To express their fascination, as they put it, with Tony's game. And to basically, again, two of the greats. Yeah. Ask him to explain how he did it. I thought that was fucking awesome. That to me was the coronation more than anything else that happened.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Great,
2: great, great point because those are two players who, from the second their first season ended, were targets every moment they were in the game. Targets, targets, targets. We got to get Parv out. We got to get Rob out. We got to get Parv out. We got to get Rob out. And for them to look at Tony and see a person who was absolutely a target from the moment he stepped in the game, or at least should have been a a top of mind target for everyone else, to play the way he did, absolutely pedal to the metal the whole time and never be voted against is wild. And yeah, if I'm Parvin Rob, I'm like, man, what is the secret sauce? How'd you do that? <laughs> uh, just incredible showing from Tony. He really deserved a it. a great point. Great point, Mal.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I wish Michelle had gotten some votes, though. I think Natalie's votes were also earned, though. I think we can talk a little bit more about that in a second. Obviously, it was an overwhelming win for Tony. He totally deserves it. Goat player, king of survivor. You just love to see it. Let's move on we are actually going to do our second segment now after (laughs) gosh I don't even know how long we've been talking the second segment Uh, will be
0: four minutes and the first segment segment
1: is down let's really quickly talk about the archetype breakdown I just want to talk about the edge of extinction returnee. I know we've kind of already talked about this Natalie's game could she have won should she have won and what do we think about Edge of Extinction as a whole?
0: I thought Natalie had a real case and I know I'm in the minority here. And again, I want to be clear. I thought Tony should have won. I am glad that he did. I wanted him to win and he unambiguously deserved it. I don't want to muddle that message at all. Tony won the season. I think that I don't, I just don't, I'm not allergic to the, the Edge experience. Like I think, Riley, you are, and like some people are, I think that, they play the season of Survivor within the context of what that season of Survivor is. And if the edge is a part of it and you were voted out first and you spend almost the entire season there and you dominate every facet of that experience minus one, which we realized was was actually part of what ultimately I think prevented Natalie from getting more votes. She didn't have enough social bonds with the people out there when the, the main thing that you can do is build those relationships with people. Obviously, she built them with, I think, Ethan Parv, and Tyson enough to, to earn their votes. She always had Jeremy's vote. The moment at Final Tribal, where she was able to share the laundry list of achievements and show that it didn't matter that she wasn't on one of the tribes. She was impacting the game. She was playing the game. She had a hand in some of the outcomes in a way that the people who were actually still on the tribes and participating in the tribal council votes did not. So I think that in the universe in which you have an edge of extinction experience, Natalie had the best possible case to win until the couple slight missteps at the end. Letting Sarah see her idol, then telling her about it. Not not having the, 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 the balls in that moment to say, I know that whether it works or not, the thing I need to do is play this for Michelle, you know, fearing for your your own life at that point in the game is obviously very natural. But you just have to know that the, the move is to play it for Michelle and then not putting herself up to make fire against Tony, which, again, I understood, but I think was clearly the expectation of the jury.
2: Yeah, I think that um,
0: I think she played almost obviously missteps
2: aside, I think she played a wonderful, wonderful game under the harshest of circumstances. Absolutely had a, I agree with you. She had a case to be sitting there and a case to win. I would not have voted for her, but she had a case to win. I think to me, the issue really is how does Edge work? How can how can the show better connect the Edge to the goings-on in the game at large beyond just the fire tokens and the advantages, which are just kind of like a one-way communication I think there needs to be a way just to to make the edge more present in the day-to-day uh, goings on of the game or it's just too just too random and just too uh just too isolated a thing. I I to drop her in back in the game without the kind of social bonds that she needed to 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 foster with the people who were existing there, I just don't think it I, I don't think it works. I I think the I think edge is flawed and I think it I would love to see it tweaked. And that said, I think Natalie played great. I think she played great. And it can't be said enough that she is a dominant physical player and probably the most dominant uh, survivor athlete of all time.
1: And I just think that to me, the the name of the game is voting players out while not yourself getting voted out and also earning their votes back on the jury. And if Natalie doesn't have to do that on the edge or anyone who's on the edge doesn't have to do that, then they're not really playing Survivor, they're playing something else. And so I just think that Survivor is a better game and a better television show when the edge twist doesn't exist and you don't get this kind of like, well, what Natalie did is phenomenally impressive, but is it a Survivor game? Is it what the winner of Survivor does it's not the way that i want the winner of survivor to impress me you know it's not about being on an island and finding fire tokens and moving logs and coconuts and sending advantages it's about navigating this complex social politics and that's the part that she didn't have to do and if she was going to win then as we've said she needs to play it a little more like chris underwood and do the uh the fire making challenge and give up the immunity idol and everything else Okay, we are running tight on time, but I do want to do superlatives. Let's fly. We're kind of going to do season superlatives this time, zooming out once again. Uh, Let's do the best move of the entire season. I think we all agree on this one.
0: Yeah, it's Tony's showing in the eleventh episode, right? The series of events that culminates in him eliminating Sophie from the game. He finds an idol. In the course of finding the idol, he masterfully redirects Nick to look in an area where he knows the idol is not. Incredible stuff. The 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 moment where he realizes the extortion advantage is being played against him is one of the funniest moments of the entire season. <laughs> but he recovered from that. He. Yes, managed to get the fire tokens that he needed from people across multiple alliances. That's, again, a testament to his social game and the bonds that he had built. He orchestrated more than one blindside, and when he decided he was going to switch to another blindside, he waited until the fucking sun was setting so that he knew he could operate against a clock that only he could control, and then he got out Sophie with an idol in her pocket. She had no idea that she was the target there. It was... It was the the it was a perfect game in Tony's Cy, Cy, Cy Young winning season. It was miraculous.
2: I, I I would extend that run to the following episode in which he rebuilt his alliance with yes. Sarah after essentially uh, blindsiding her and betraying Incredible. her. Incredible. Managed to pull that back together and then managed to get Ben and Jeremy to work together to vote out Kim essentially at tribal, like he made that happen at the, at the, at the one yard line, incredible run from Tony.
1: It's incredible because he basically was not in the loop at all about the last vote, the vote to get out Ben. Uh, he said in, in interviews after this season, if you go read kind of his exit interviews on EW from Dalton Ross and wherever, that that is the one vote that he was blindsided at. He did not know where the votes were going to go. It's the only time that's ever happened in his survivor career. And it didn't matter because he'd won the game before that with the Sophie boot, the Kim boot, and all of these other moves that he was making the Sophie boot. And then repairing that relationship with Sarah. That is masterful. I, I thought that that relationship was going to be toast when he did that. Yeah. She was pissed. (laughs) It, It speaks to his social bonds and, and, just how tight that you really can't even call it an alliance. It's a friendship between Sarah and Tony.
0: And it was, it was so moving to see when they had to face off. We haven't talked about this, but when they faced off in fire, like the tear fest that they shared after that was, Oh my goodness. Genuinely heart wrenching and touching.
1: Wow. If you go back and look at Kagayan, you know, when uh, Sarah gets voted out that season, Tony is clapping. He's like hooting and hollering. He's so happy to get her out then you get to this season and he is just inconsolable in tears. It's a great three season arc for them. They've played together on all three seasons. So I guess they, you know, didn't really get a lot of time together in game changers, but still like that arc over six years is incredible to see. Let's do worst move of the season. Mine's really quick. Jeff, do not (laughs) cast 16 year olds on survivor. Don't cast 17 year olds. Just don't cast teenagers. Please. No. Yeah. What are your guys' worst moves? That's a
0: great one, Riley.
1: Mine is
0: Sandra giving Denise the power to vote her out single-handedly. You know, even though that idol had a, a a time cap on it and the clock was ticking, it's the kind of move that if you make it and it pans out, people say you're a genius. So I do want to at least acknowledge that, but it <laughs> at the end of the day Sandra got too cute, gave somebody that she did not have real, true, deep trust with an idol in exchange for fire tokens, not knowing that Denise had the the extra idol and this ability to use them in the way that she had conceived. Denise plays them both, nullifies everything except her own vote, which she cast for Sandra, eliminated the queen from the game, Queen Slayer for life. And then... Sandra raises the flag on extinction and is off the season. So Denise is actually the only person in the entire season who truly eliminated someone from this game. If you think about it that way. Uh, That's a great call.
2: I'm going to go just generally everyone, not blindsiding Tony whenever they had the chance, Uh, having watched him on his Uh, previous two seasons and understanding the way he played and how he is just a uh, ever, present threat in the game who never stops thinking and never stops strategizing and never stops trying to figure out angles. They should have figured out a way to get him out earlier.
1: So now I want to kind of end this podcast on a little bit of a different superlative than we have done before. We're going to do stock down and stock up. Ah. These are survivor players who have either bolstered their resume or kind of put a dampen on their legacy Throughout this season, obviously in an all winners season, nobody goes home looking like a complete fool, but some players did better than others. Let's start with stock down. I will just say
0: clean sweep here. We all have the same pick. <laughs> Yes, We've
1: talked about Ben. We've, we've talked about Ben. So I'll highlight somebody else. It's ben. Uh, I will say that Danny did not do herself a lot of favors kind of her one big moment of this season was going paranoid, getting herself booted from the game. And then <laughs> she kind of just faded into the background on edge of extinction. She had a couple moments in there, but for a player who came in a winner who came in under the radar this season, I don't know that she really put herself back on the radar.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, it's 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 clearly Ben, but we don't have to rehash that. I, I'd also I would toss out and, you know, I feel like a little bit bad about this because I think I think that Nick struggled with realizing how heavily on the outs he was all season long and and not being able to break through that. But I think that uh, that that might be sad, but it is also real. And as a result of that, it was hard to be super, super impressed with Nick's Game and you know little things like having having an edit where he says he's a genius in the episode that he gets voted out and things like that are pretty rough and uh, I, I would I would I would toss him out as a another contender who you know again he won a season of Survivor that's incredible but just slightly outclassed by the people who he was playing against here
2: yeah I I would agree that he's my pick as well in addition to Ben and just to chime in you know like. Uh, As we've noted, Christian was kind of the emblematic player of his season, and I think it did not... To have him here and kind of one step behind everyone else, whether it's uh, the moment when he went all John Wick and went, okay, well, now now I'm going to play. Now they're going to see what's going on. They've come at me. I'm going to come at them. And then to just kind of, like, not do anything after that and then just try and build that relationship with Michelle and seemingly been under the impression that he could like waltz into a final three and beat anybody that was there in that game at that
1: time and votes not a great showing from Nick this season okay and then let's wrap on a high note let's talk about stock up again I mean we've talked about Tony so, I won't say him again here. I will say, though, somebody who kind of faded down the stretch, but I think did a lot for herself is Sophie. She came in as one of the most underedited winners ever. South Pacific was not her season when we talk about who is the emblematic characters of a season. That was Coach's season, Ozzy's season, Cochran's season. It was really not Sophie's season, but Sophie, especially in the pre merge, showed herself to be a strategic. Powerhouse. She's one of the players who, if I am picking people from this cast that I want to see return to the game again, Sophie is at almost the very top of the list. I think that she has more to add to Survivor. She clearly showed it. And she is one of the sharpest players out there. She really just got ran over by a runaway Tony. There's nothing you can do about that so much respect for Sophie this season.
0: I, I I had a lot of fun watching Sophie and I think it was clear how much her fellow contestants admired her intellect and her strategy which is always really cool to see. My pick, I mean, I know you're saying we already talked about Tony but I don't care. It, it's Tony. I mean, when you go from being a guy who had one incredible win and then got voted out really early to being the GOAT, the best player of all time, it's just, we can't really talk about that enough. I would also say though like the other two people who were sitting at, at Final Tribal with him also deserve many. Here. I mean, Natalie uh, Natalie establishing herself as the the best athlete in Survivor history and one of the most dominant physical players and one of the key pillars of the game is incredible. And then I think Michelle really, really, really established herself as a riser. And she was so, so candid about that narrative, how she struggled with the response to her win and people doubting her and saying she didn't deserve I love it. That. I It was so, so moving to hear that from her and see how that had affected her and then to see her overcome that. And again, despite the, I think, absurdity of her not getting a single vote at the end, she established her bona fides and then some. Like she said, she did not have friends. I mean, people liked her, as we said earlier, but she didn't have friends in the sense that she had people she could rely on and play the game with In the in the end of the season. She didn't have an alliance. She was on her own so often fighting her way up from the bottom. And she made it all the way to the end out of... Sheer force of will, and I think that's really, really admirable and cool. So, shouts to Michelle.
2: I completely agree. I have the same three. Tony, uh, you know, elevated himself to the greatest ever. Natalie is a a terrifying Terminator. (laughs) I'm just absolutely in awe of her. And then Michelle, like, everything you just said, I'd like to echo. And then add that um, she had the very uncomfortable, uh, she was in the uncomfortable position of being on the show with an ex.
0: Yeah. Not ideal. It's
2: not what you want. Not ideal. Not ideal. And, and she fought through that. She fought through every obstacle that was in her way, never quit, impressed with her. And she has really raised her esteem in my eyes. And all three of them absolutely leveled up in terms of their stature within this game.
1: Jason and Mal, thank you so much for coming on the pod.
0: Thank Thanks for, for us. having us. You're our Jeff Probst, and it's just it's wonderful to be here with you in your digital garage.
1: Wow, that is such high praise.
0: <laughs> just don't call for the nation's Stay teenagers. Away from the teens.
1: <laughs> no teens will ever appear on this podcast. Okay, that is all the time we have for today. That is all the time we have for this season. Thank you so much for listening to The Pod Has Spoken. This episode, the entire season, it has been wonderful to cover this season of Survivor. I am so grateful for every person who has listened or has read an article. It has been a blast. I'm Riley McTea. It's Mallory Rubin. It's Jason Concepcion. Steve Allman is our producer. I don't know if we'll see you again, but this is great. Thank you so much for listening.